0: Good morning. morning. Want to welcome you here if you have not uh, already been welcomed. It's great to have you here worshiping with us, proclaiming the, the goodness of God together. And we always kind of make a disclaimer with that song. There's probably a bunch of you here who are singing God, you're so good and you're like, I don't actually know if God is good. I can't feel him in the midst of what I'm going through right now. The, well, the beauty is God is is okay with you coming to him and saying, "God, what are you doing?" God, this is hard. I'm crying out to you. I, I want to sing about your goodness. Teach me, show me, remind me. So as we sing, don't ever sing uh, just kind of without thinking. Sing the words that you believe and that you, you want to sing to God. So, all right, here we go. Uh, we're diving in this morning. Uh, we had a, a busy couple of weeks here at Fellowship. The last two weeks have been filled with a lot of crazy, fun stuff. And I'm going to give you a quick update On a few of them. Uh, Some students in Collingswood just returned back from a missions trip to the state of Michigan. They were working as a camp staff for a week for a whole community that sends a bunch of kids to this camp, and they get to teach them about God. Um, Lots of uh, physically challenging things and spiritually challenging things. It was survivor-themed. Any survivor fans in here? Um, Right. It was every tribe, every nation. Clearly, that was under God, uh, but survivor-themed, lots of different things. It involved this mud pit as well, which was just insane. Um, And there is a video of Pastor Ben rolling in the mud uh, on Facebook, so go check it out. Um, Students in Mount Laurel uh, two weeks ago were in Pemberton and Trenton, uh, and on the way to Pemberton one day, serving in like Bible clubs, lots of different things, uh, we saw this sign. It actually exists. There's Pemberton and there's Trenton. Maybe we're going to Hamilton next year. I don't really know, but uh, that sign is is crazy. So we took a picture of it. Um, but we were there. We were doing Bible clubs, car washes, soccer camps, and a vacation Bible school uh, in two different locations during the week. It was kind of crazy. And yesterday, a group flew out to Belize, uh, serving in on a missions trip there. And so uh, God's doing some crazy thing. If you were to drive to Belize, that's what it would look like. But That's not what they did. They flew there. I just couldn't put it in. What is it, like four days of driving? I don't really know. Um, But to think about God at work in lots of different places, maybe even mobilizing us in some ways to be in these places is really beautiful. And um, as we've been talking through every story, his name this summer, uh, I just wanted to share with what God was doing there. And We're actually going to start with a story that happened to me in Trenton. I want to tell you the story of um, what happened. Uh, Just so you know, I cleared this by the person I'm going to talk about in a second, so we're all good. But our intern, Melissa, uh, was driving our van into Trenton. I happened to be meeting them there for a Bible club in a park on the streets in Trenton for that day. I was a few minutes behind them, and I get the phone call Hey, Pastor Mike, Uh, we wrecked the van. Um, It's not a big wreck, but it was just enough of the running board smashing against the curb that it was not drivable because of how close it was to the tire. There's Tommy saying, thumbs down, we can't drive. Uh, Well, they arrived, so they were doing their Bible club. They got in, things were going, and all of a sudden, this man uh, started wandering over. And by the time I got there, they were like, dude, I'm not sure what happened, but he's just fixing our van, like he just showed up. And I come to realize this man's name is Danny. Danny. Um, and uh, according to Carrie Underwood's prophecy, Jesus took the wheel, Melissa crashed. Danny had been praying for work in the park that morning and we just showed up with a broken van. Uh, isn't that crazy, right? Turns out Danny is uh, Mexican. His parents were killed when he was two years old um, and he was raised by two Christian Swiss German doctors. Um, so think of this Mexican man who. Is fluent in German and is speaking some weird English form in the middle. It was like, I don't know what you are. He was like, I know I come across a little weird, but he was the coolest guy. Um, I spent a, a number of hours then wandering around the city of Trenton with him to get these parts, um, to buy the things we needed to fix the van and to pay people that we were getting things, uh, cut, you know, all those different things. Um, it turns out God has taken Danny all over the world in, in lots of different ways, uh, using his talents and abilities. His parents were wealthy, and he said he wanted to be a missionary pilot, and so uh, his parents paid for him to go to pilot school. He's a pilot. He is also a mechanic uh, and a handyman, and he gave me his card before he started doing the work. He was like, here's my card. It's all the things I do, and there's John 3.16 on the back. And I'm like, this is just too crazy that you're sitting here praying and we show up. Um... Well, it all connected at this one spot um, called Tri-Steel Fabricators of Trenton. If you're ever there, highly recommend it. It's a great spot. We needed some parts. So Danny's driving me around all these places. We end up here, uh, and we meet this guy named James, who is one of the owners of Tri-Steel Fabricators. Uh, James and Danny have spoken German together for a number of years because they both had this like weird German connection. Uh, and they're also both brothers in the Lord. Um, and so I'm just kind of like sitting back watching what is happening uh, as they just talk these things and when Danny finally told James that I was a pastor, you could just see like his whole countenance shift and it wasn't a good shift, like something was up and I'm like, what? Did it... <laughs> there's a lot of metal around, you could kill me and take me out and no one would even know right now what's going on. Um, he said, me and pastors don't really get along too well, I was like, okay, uh, He said, you know what? They don't really know an honest day's work, me and the steel fabricating business. And I was like, not about to tell him that for my work that week, I was going to play soccer with kids and (laughs) wash cars in Trenton, like that's just, okay, yeah. Uh, My eyes panned around this massive steel fabricating operation. Uh, There's trusses for churches being built actually right in there he was telling me about. It's like five times the size of our sanctuary, just a huge place. Um, He was a a likable guy, a bit rough around the edges, and eventually we went on to talk about all the ways we saw God at work in our three different corners of the world, Danny, James, and me. The church is often referred to as the body of Christ, and Randy was reading out of uh, Romans chapter 12, and later on uh, in chapter 12 it says, For as in one body we have many members And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Some are eyes to see, ears to hear, feet to walk. And others are the brains when you just don't know how to fix a church van that is not drivable. The body of Christ was really displayed for me that day and we got our tiny parts from the uh, labor, the, the steel factory. We walked out, and James is like, no, 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 it's on me. It's for Jesus. It's for the church. And we walked out, and I kind of was like, I still don't know what's happening right now. Um, we headed back. The van was fixed. All is well. And as I drove later in the day to Pemberton to go be with a different group of high school students, I had this like out-of-body experience, like, what is God doing? What? He is so much more at work among us than we think he is, or maybe that we see or give him credit for. He's in Michigan, rolling in the mud, and being all crazy with the kids up at the camp in, uh, in Michigan, He's in Trenton. He's with Danny as he's praying for work. Maybe he even allowed our van to break down right there so that he could have work that day. He's in Pemberton as we're meeting the needs of people there and teaching them soccer and pointing them to Christ. He's in Belize as our students are flying there. He's in our homes. He's caring for those without work and drawing hearts to himself. And oftentimes, we don't get to see what God is doing, but for me, it was like the, the curtain was open just a little bit and God was like, here's what I'm doing. And I, I had to share that story with you this morning because not only does every story in the scriptures whisper his name, but oftentimes our own lives are screaming the presence of God. And so you and I, we have to gather and worship and that's what you bring in on a Sunday morning and you worship because God is screaming in our stories in lots of different ways. I've for years loved the illustration of a, a tapestry. Uh, I spoke with a lady afterward and confirmed that tapestries do look like this on the backside. And the Christian life basically is God doing lots of different things, and oftentimes we see the mess of the back side of a tapestry. And all we can see is maybe just a, a wreck, like why, needless. Why is this here? Our suffering, our pain, our trials... And God is working together to bring all of his beauty on the front side of yet which we, we don't know. Well, Corey Tenboom, who you may know, has written a poem called The Weaving. And that's kind of what uh, happened to me. I kind of was watching God weaving different things together. And maybe he showed me a little bit of what he was doing. The Hiding Place is a great book if you've never read it. Corey Temboom and her uh, family harbored uh, people that were uh, being persecuted in the Holocaust, uh, over 800 Jews in their homes during World War II, and she was in prison with her family, and later, as they came out, she wrote this powerful book detailing her experience. But not only her experience historically is this book good for, but it is a crazy encouragement to your faith because they followed Christ, and all throughout, God is talked about in the midst of this suffering and pain and they just kept looking to him, kept looking to him. So if you've never read it, read it. The audiobook is killer too. You should listen to it. Here's the poem she wrote. It's called The Weaving. Between my God and me, I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily, my life is but a weaving. Oft times he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. God, we could just stop right there knowing the beauty of how you are at work in simple stories that we get to experience and through this poem, Lord, you're, you're showing us of the, the beauty of, of even the words coming together and, and weaving something for us that points us to God. God, oftentimes we can't trace what your hand is doing and it's in those moments we want and beg, would you help us trust your heart that is good, that is for us, not against us. God, teach us to to look and to hear and to go that we might see the goodness of God and taste that. We pray these things in your name, amen. Well, we're gonna get to the scriptures this morning. We're gonna be in the book of Exodus. If you want to turn there, the book of Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, and really this morning is all about God's artistry from beginning to end, from creation all the way through, the miracles of Jesus, the way he talks about requirements for building the the tabernacle, which we'll talk about today, every story describing his name, every story pointing to a little bit more of who God is. Maybe you know him in these few ways that we'll talk about this morning, but maybe you don't, and if you don't, it's my prayer that you would embrace him a Savior and Lord this morning. Today is about a man that you probably have heard of because like good people that read their Bibles, they go through a one-year Bible reading where you start the beginning and you get all the way to the end. Genesis, Exodus, doing good. End of Exodus, still there, which is where this story is. Leviticus, not so good. So maybe you've actually read his story before and uh, if you haven't, here we go. Exodus 31, one 1- through 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. How would you like that to be uh, your dad's name, right? uh, Okay. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent. The table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories. The altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they, when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. The Lord spoke that to Moses, and then he would go on to pass that on to his people. But let me give you a quick context as to where in Exodus 31 God's people are. If you remember back, they were in captivity in uh, Egypt, and God chose Moses and spoke to him through the burning bush, and he said, I will be with you. I want you to free my people from slavery. God brought along Aaron to help Moses, and then we have the ten plagues that come and just devastate the Egyptian society. Finally, Pharaoh says, enough is enough, go. God's people then walked out of Egypt and they crossed over the Red Sea and actually here is a a video of some of our kids teaching the crossing of the Red Sea and everything's good, everything's good and then the the waves just crash in on the chariots that are waiting in the background uh, riding as you can see them. Um, But the Egyptian army uh, was, was covered by the water and eventually defeated. Then God's people wandered around in the midst of the desert. They, provided, uh, they were provided manna to eat and quail, and God also gave them water to drink. But they wandered and complained and grumbled and tried to trust God, but were imperfect at doing so. A pillar of cloud by day led them, a, and fire by night. And when that would move, the presence of God would told them to move, they would move along with it. Moses would then go up to receive the Ten Commandments, and for 40 days and 40 nights he spent on Mount Sinai. Imagine being up there. Wow. What a cool place. God would elaborate on the commandments and outline in specific detail how he wanted his people to build this tabernacle the size, the shape, what it would feel like, even what the tabernacle should smell like at different places. The furniture, everything in it. And then in Exodus 31, he says, And these are the men that I have specifically given. Holy Ab and Bezalel. And if anybody has some spare time and wants to go into Christian artwork, please help us out, because that's all we could find. Um, he comes down with the tablets of the law, and he's going to read them to his people, and what does Moses find as he comes down the mountain? The golden calf. All the people are bowing down. They've put all their resources together, and they're bowing and worshiping a golden calf. Moses is angry, and... He breaks the, the, the commandments and the story goes on from there. But remember a few weeks back, I was teaching about Jesus being up on the mountain of transfiguration and he was there with his disciples and then he came down to find the disciples were trusting in themselves and there's this whole demonic realm happening. The beauty of God up on the mountain and the deceitfulness of sin, the trust in ourselves, the well, let's make our own God, down on the bottom. And if you had any application, maybe you should go hike a mountain or something and stay up there forever. That's what should happen. Because the presence of God exists on the top of mountains. That was supposed to be a joke. They're great to hike. It exists down here too, guys, okay? All right. But this morning, the focus is this, that God is a masterful artist at work to teach us and to show us his creative design. There's a few takeaways as we read through the account of Bezalel and Oholiab. The first one is God is with us. God with us. Not earth-shattering news. You've probably heard this before, but think about it in this context. God has actually been with His people all along. In the Garden of Eden, in Exodus chapter, or I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter three, He's walking with Adam and Eve. Exodus chapter three, we have Moses in the burning bush. He calls out from the bush, I will be with you. And then we get to later on in Exodus, and there's the tabernacle that's gonna be built by these two men and many others, and he says, this is where my presence is gonna dwell. you're gonna make a house for me to live in on the earth. Jesus would one day come and be the presence of God in human flesh, and he says to go into all the world and teach these things and behold, I will be with you, Matthew 28. Jesus would die and come back to life and then even ascend back into heaven and he would send us his spirit and that our hearts would become his dwelling place. Second Corinthians 6, we are the temple of the living God. And the whole idea of God with us is not something like new and and. It's always been true, and it always will be true. One day, the return of Christ to to take us to him, Revelation 19, God has promised all throughout Scripture, I will be with you. The artistry of God always points us back to him, a God that is with us. This might be a really simple point, and you might be like, good, I know that. But are we living as though God right now is with us, Maybe some of you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've trusted in Christ as your Savior. He's living inside of you. He's directing you. He's leading you step by step. But Many of you would say, I don't know, God feels kind of distant. I've been taught my whole life that God uh, is not near me. He's far. He's up there. I need someone to kind of like help me out. Uh, I got to make my way to God or I got to do enough good to to get to God. Well, the beauty of of the Christian story is that someone did make a way for you to get to God, and his name is Jesus, amen? Amen. The second part here is that God is not only with us, God enables us. We'll we'll see here in verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Verse six. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Two men here, Aholiab and uh, I'm sorry, I lost his name. Aholiab and Bezalel are the two men here appointed by God. And Bezalel has quite the heritage, okay? His two grandparents are named Hur and Miriam, which may mean entirely nothing to you until I tell you who these two people are that were his lineage. Hur was one of the two men that as the Israelites were being attacked by the Amalekites, uh, he was the one holding up the arms of Moses. Because in that time, uh, when Moses' arms were raised with his staff, God's people were winning. And as soon as... Uh, he lowered his hands, and he was unable to keep them up. God's people would be losing, and so uh, they said, "Well, let's just continue to hold his arms up and worship and praise to God and trust." And and her was on one side, and Aaron was on the other. So he was kind of a big deal. Miriam, his grandmother, was also at that point the leader of all the women in uh, the, the the nation of Israel. So when you get along to Bezalel and he was chosen, people may have been like, well, I mean, he's kind of like a big deal. This makes sense. But then you get along and you say, who is this guy Aholiab and why is he chosen? He's from the tribe of Dan. Dan is like this insignificant, nothing tribe. Really not a lot going for it at this point in God's story. He would not have been a big deal at all. But it seems to me the text puts these two people together and says, God is the one who enables. Whether you come from a line of great people, or whether you're from the tribe of Dan, it's God who enables and gives skill. God chooses, he equips. It's by his spirit that he's given him wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all these skills. Maybe you need to hear that your influence and your effectiveness in this world, is not based on your heritage, people that you know or that you connect with. That's about God and the, the abilities and the talents that he's given you. Maybe, maybe it's just a, 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 Lord, forgive me for, for running ahead in my own strength to the praise of me, to the praise of my heritage for so many years when you alone have given me these abilities Parents, maybe, maybe it's that we need to stop thinking in this way, this American way of, well, let's get our kids set up with the right school, and then the right prep school so they can go. And if they go to that daycare, they won't learn how to read before kindergarten. And then what will happen to them? And if they don't get on that team, they won't have the opportunities that those kids have. And maybe, just maybe, they won't get to play on a travel soccer team. End of the world type things that we parents think about. But we, we think that maybe it's all about what we can just muster up in and of ourselves to do these things, to, to get us to a place that we can succeed, not realizing that it's his sovereignty, it's him that establishes, him that gives authority, and he's made us with these gifts and abilities You have to stop and think, though, as you're thinking about these two men. They had just come through the wandering in the wilderness, and they've come out of Egyptian captivity. What was it like for them? Were they maybe um, kids at that point? Maybe their fathers were kind of like working as slaves. Maybe they were doing some uh, little tasks as well. Was God potentially preparing their fathers to teach them so that one day, as they come all the way through this, they left Egypt, and here they are, and God says, I want to dwell with you in the tabernacle, and you're going to build it for me. I wonder if they felt like, whoa, God, I wonder if like all that was for this. You ever had those moments where you just feel like you get to a place where you're like, whoa, did God do that for this? I had one of those moments uh, a while back um, growing up, as many of you have had, different struggles and uh, things you've walked through or, or moments in life that you kind of felt like, why, God, what's the point of this? And when I uh, came on as a pastor here at Fellowship a number of years ago, I'm sitting in my office kind of figuring out what should I do, and in walks a student, and they start talking through what seemed like my life story, and they're like, and now what do I do? And I'm like, wait a minute, I went through that, and I know what that's like. Let's talk, let's pray, let's go to the Lord. I had a parent come in and ask, hey, my son is struggling in this area, and uh, he's, he's dealing with that, and this happened at school. Do you, can you help me with this? And I just got chills because it was almost the same circumstances that I had walked through. God, God did you walk me through that so that one day maybe you'd allow me to walk others through this? For me, I think if at that moment, way back as a kid, if God said, you know, you're going to go through this, and in 10 years, 15 years, someone's going to come into your office and they may ask you a question about it, um, that's why this is happening. What? God, like, really? Come on. Can we just get cut to the chase here? Like, why are you doing this, God? Or maybe he's set up things in your life where you feel like uh, if God told you why in the midst of it, you wouldn't believe him. And that was me, too. I probably would have doubted his character. I would have been pretty angry at God's maybe long-term purpose for my sufferings. I wouldn't have chosen that to be the outcome, God. But instead, if we trust and we look and we listen to a God who's with us, maybe he's preparing and equipping us for the work that he's calling us to. He's enabling us divinely giving us skills and abilities, gently walking us through maybe some narrow passageways that we're like, this does not feel good, God. Maybe he's divinely giving us what we need for the next step and the next step and the next step. That we might one day, as Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Man, I believe God would just delight to increase our trust today because oftentimes those circumstances and those trials and those struggles don't happen as kids. They actually continue to happen if you know life and how it goes, right? We continue to have difficult things happen. This is what life is all about. And so what if right now you said, God, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I wanna trust in you. Remember a few weeks back, help me in my unbelief, God. I'm not sure what is happening with this circumstance, but I know that you are a God that doesn't waste suffering, doesn't needlessly put me through things just to make me feel like you are God and I'm not. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good and that I want to take refuge in him even in the midst of what I'm walking through. God is with us God enables us even through suffering and difficulty and failure and trials. And the last one here, God also invites us. God invites us. Verse six, it says this. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. God's creative imprint is all over this story, many more skilled people would then be brought in and they would build the tabernacle. They are to put that into practice. God carefully talked through in chapters before this what it's supposed to look like, how tall this room is supposed to be, what materials are supposed to happen in this room, and what it's supposed to smell like when you go into this section of the tabernacle. All sorts of crazy things and details. But God is not the one who made it. In creation, God chose, and he said, let there be light, and light was created. Uh, He he talked about all the different things and spoke them into being. And here, he gives all this detail and then says, and have them make it just as I command them to do. I mean, that's a weird invitation, right? For like God to give all this detail and then say, and you will be the ones to do it. What to make, materials, all these different things. And when you step back, you kind of ask the question like, I mean, couldn't God just make a tabernacle? It's, it's going to be his place to dwell anyway. Why didn't he just make it? And couldn't God do it faster? The Israelites are not fast about anything except not following God. Couldn't God do it just at the snap of his fingers and wow us yet again like he did in creation? Couldn't that be the way that God does it? Absolutely. But, but he invited Bezalel and a holy ab to be part of God's creative plan, to reflect the artistry of God. I mean, this is uh, inviting fallen, broken, sinful people that have doubted you. They were maybe a part of the golden calf experience, and He's inviting them to come in. Man, why would God do this? He's sovereign over all, He's jealous for us, He hates sin, He's all powerful, and yet, right here, right now, to me, this is a humble God. This is a God that says, I've created you to worship me, and I want to invite you in to this sovereign work, to build the sovereign God, a house where he can dwell. My people can be with me. The humility of God expressed in the Old Testament. Maybe that's just like a New Testament concept that we think about. Jesus is humble, the God of the Old Testament. God of power God of destruction he's doing all these really crazy things but humble but to me this is the humility of God and, and the humility would soon come in being found in human form Jesus then humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Old Testament God New Testament Jesus same humility Philippians 2.8 and this humility would then understand our struggle as well for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And he walked through it, so he's with us. The, the, the humble God of the Old Testament, the with us God of the Old Testament, is the very same Jesus who is alive in the New Testament the overwhelming theme of scripture As you think about what is the whole Bible really about? Well, I kind of just, just distilled it down to uh, a few words here. It's that God is seeking to rebuild his kingdom through willing, obedient servants who are filled with his spirit, made in his image, and uniquely gifted with his artistry. Man, that he, he would invite us into his story or more, God breaks into our stories. Why would the holy God do that? N.T. Wright puts it this way. Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. The gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture, articulating in story and music and art and philosophy and education and poetry and politics and theology and even, heaven help us, biblical studies, a worldview that will mount the historically rooted Christian challenge to both modernity and post-modernity, leading the way with joy and humor and gentleness and good judgment and true wisdom, and an invitation to be part of this divine work that God is doing through lots of different mediums in lots of different ways in all parts of the story. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that from beginning to end, God is a with us God. Maybe you were raised and taught he's far off, but let me remind you that from beginning to end, he's after you. He wants a relationship with you. And there'd be nothing more important this morning than for you to engage in a relationship with God. And come talk to me afterward. Come find one of our pastors in the lobby. Talk to someone near you. Maybe they can point you to Christ. And the beauty of this relationship This God is that he wants to be with us in a relationship. Some of us this morning need to be reminded that the gift that we have is from God, that he is the one who enables us, carefully shaping us through hardship and trial and blessing and rest. Christ in me, as me, that I might reflect the beauty of God's creative work. I'm part of that. Some of us need to be reminded that God's invitation is not just to a sacred, holy life on my own, by myself, with God, which would be beautiful. But it's not his plan. His plan is far greater than that, that he would invite you into his mission, that we might go, that we might serve and live and do in many different ways the mission and the call of God, to display his power and might, shine forth his diversity, And wonder, singing loud his praise. I wanna give you just a a few ideas of maybe applications. There's a to do list at the bottom for you. It says to do, I think. If you wanna write some things down, maybe you're listening as I kinda throw out some ideas, ways that you may be involved, creatively using God's creative imprint on you to reflect him in the world. I talked with a lady after the last service and she was like, I never really thought of making curtains as part of God's creativity that I can speak of the world, but it made her come alive. And so what I want to say is, as I read this list of different things, some of these may be like, who does that and reflects creativity? But some of you who do these things, you may be like, that's my thing right there, okay? So here we go, here's your list. Maybe it's through words, poems, journaling, writing or crafting with words for the kingdom. Maybe you just, you have a knack for that. Wouldn't God love to just enlist that and invite you into a work to say, would you craft in this way for my kingdom? Maybe it's music or, or song. Maybe you're listening to music and being able to pass that on to people. I have a guy in my life who constantly is just sending me new music and saying, and this is so beautiful. It's God's truth. Listen to this. Maybe it's building with skilled hands as he's given you to be able to build and and create things. Maybe it's the use of social media and technology to magnify his name because yes, God can be magnified through the way that we use social media. Maybe it's in the speed of your running or the beauty of your shot as you are part of your athletic talent giving that to the Lord and using that for his glory. Maybe it's in the way you can mend or create using specialized tools or materials that most people never even touch. Maybe it's the way you can utilize your art in, in conversation. Listening to somebody asking questions, man, I swear that is an art form. People that can ask really good questions is an art form, and God's put inside of them. Maybe that's you, and the way you listen encourages people to share. And wouldn't that be part of God's creative imprint, part of His story? Maybe it's in the way that you work to empower and lead other people. God just put in you a way to, to take in information and to be able to give it out in a way that others can follow and, and be part of what God is doing. Possibly your art is uh, with crayons and some scrap paper, and you're kneeling down next to a child, and your art is caring for kids. And pointing them to who God is. Not everybody has that gift, right? (laughs) Maybe your art is meeting a special needs child and, and learning who they are, and then being able to carefully craft and shape a way that you can speak to them, that you can interact with them. We had a beautiful seminar yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning about uh, how autism uh, is, is prevalent in our culture also and, and how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to these kids. That we're invited in. This is not something to hold us back, but that we could say, man, God, you are so at work, even in these children. How do we do that? That is a beautiful art form. Maybe some of your art is uh, how you cut your grass and only the people that had a guy like jump up and cheer in the first service, that's me. Maybe that's you, and, and the way that you take care of what God's given you, people are going to ask you, and then you can say, man, even just in little small ways, I want to reflect the beauty that God has put inside of me and in this world. Maybe some of you, it's the ability to create in the world of fashion. I had a guy talk to me a few years back, and he just said, man, the, uh, it feels like I'm, I'm put into this place in the world of fashion, I'm not even really wildly into this but I'm here I'm doing this and it just feels super godless I don't know why I'm here but I just feel like God's put me here to talk about him like wouldn't it be so cool if in some of these industries where we think people need God that God would put his followers there to speak about him maybe that's where you are today Maybe it's in your ability to clean and organize well, which might seem like one of those gifts that's just, you know, uh, whatever, God. Like, that's just a a hobby or uh, I'm just a neat freak or whatever. But maybe, just maybe, God's given you that ability when people are messy to be able to clean and to be able to do that to reflect his beauty. Or maybe it's in the way you operate a giant steel factory in Trenton, New Jersey, so that one day when Danny and Mike walk into your factory, you too can say this I do in the name of Christ, for Jesus, for the church. And that they would see the reflection of the community of believers in that. My question to each of you and to me even this morning is, whether God finds you in Mount Laurel or Collingswood or Belize or Pemberton or Trenton or Michigan, that we would go wild in obedience to the way that God has given us this design, this imprint of creativity, that we'd get generous with the skills and abilities he's given us, not hiding them but entrusting them to us. And that as people ask, why you do what you do, why do you clean so well, why do you care for special needs kids, why do you work in this, why do you lead so well, why are you taking so much time with this that we might say, for God's sake, because of Christ in me, for Jesus, for Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy God, we look at the account of Bezalel and Oholiab and the way that you called them, you equipped them, and you invited them in to make you a dwelling place on earth in the tabernacle. God, the, the, your humility and your love and your, the way that you shape things is just all over this story. And God, it's all over ours as well. You are still the same God yesterday, today, and forever, meeting needs, displaying your beauty, shining forth your love, God, I want to be a person that does that in whatever arena I might find myself. Lord, would you allow us to be a church that doesn't uh, think about gifting and ability and, and serving people in just a few ways, but think what are creative ways that God is using us? Who are we that we can serve? Would you allow us this ability, this time to listen to your spirit and then to obey reckless abandon just to go and serve and love people in the name of Christ. God, we thank you for this time together. We worship you as our great God. We pray these things in your name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning.